Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. The person to my left is, does anyone know her? Brandy, yeah, this is Brandy. So um, she is engaged to be married to a guy that's a little bit louder than her. So, so you, there he is. You usually hear Michael. Michael Aplikowski and Brandy are engaged. The date is yet to be determined. Um, one of these days, though, you might walk in and they're just going to be married. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how we do that. But um, we, it's, it's at a time that is to be decided in the future. Anyway, something happened to Brandy, and I wanted her to share it with you because it's related to what we're going to talk about in the scriptures, and we're just going to do like a one, maybe two-minute short interview testimony. So this is just the short version. So Brandy, hi. hi I'll Ron. hold this hi for Ron. you so you don't even have to. I can hold it. Oh, you can? Yeah. You good? I'm good. Oh. Hi, Ron. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you do this like a pro. Uh. <laughs> so what happened was uh, a couple months ago, I fell out of my bed um, while I was sleeping, and it's a really high bed, and I hit the wall really hard, went to the emergency room, and I had a fractured neck. A lot of you saw me wearing a neck brace for a while. So that's what first happened. And then, because of many... So they, they, did they x-ray you? They did. They, they x-rayed it, and it was a fracture in my neck. Okay. Yes. And so, then they wanted more. Yes, and then I went to a spine doctor after that, and they he checked the x-rays. I had more. had an MRI. I had all kinds of things. And the fracture is gone. So they did an MRI. Yes. And when they looked at the MRI, it was like, there's no fracture here? There's no fracture. And I truly believe it's from all the prayers from this church. There were so many people praying for me. And, I mean, I wish I could name everybody, but there were so many people. And I really, really appreciate all the prayers. That's I it. Like That's, I miracle. wanted her to share that with you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank so, you. so um, I guess you, you can yeah. have a seat. So... If I remember right in talking with them, the doc, you know, doctors don't know what to do in cases like that sometimes because there is an x-ray film with a crack, a fracture, and then there's a new MRI, and they're like, oh, I guess maybe we made a mistake, and Michael's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> there's like a fracture in the x-ray, right? And he said, does this happen a lot, these kind of mistakes where the fracture disappears? And they're like, no. And he said, well, it happens all the time in our lives. <laughs> It's <laughs> kind of funny. Anyway, that's kind of cool. And then this one, this one's still in progress. Oh, I didn't ask you, Debbie, if I can. Can I tell your version of your story? Okay. So Debbie, our, um, uh, oh, she kind of runs the church, basically. So <laughs> some people would call her the church secretary, which just doesn't work. She, so she's like administrative I call her administrative assistant, which means she's really the administrator because there's no administrator that she's assisting, but I guess me, I don't know. She does everything, and she also oversees our children's ministry, and recently, um, the cardiologist determined that she had a blockage in her heart, so they, we had an appointment, she had an appointment Thursday to go in, 
and do angioplasty where they go in and they were going to insert three stents, you know, or stents, you know what that is? So it's like a spring-loaded kind of mesh that pops open the artery so you have good flow again. So when they went in, and there were people praying, of course, and when they went in, same thing that happened to Brandy. They got in there and there was no blockage. So they were like, oh. <laughs> My bad. Um, I guess there's nothing wrong. Go home. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. What do you do? As she still has some symptoms, though, of shortness of breath. We don't know what that's about. But whatever that blockage was is not a blockage anymore. So that's kind of cool, huh? Maybe prayer did something. What, what do you think? I think it's possible. So I wanted to tell you those two stories because we're going to be back reading in Acts again. And we are in the middle, if you're kind of joining us for the first time in a while or maybe your first time ever, we have been doing a series of teachings called Witness, Stories of the First Jesus Followers. And the idea is in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, it, it says this. This is the night that Jesus was resurrected. He's with the disciples who are, have locked themselves in a room because they're scared to death about, you know, Jesus was just murdered on a cross and they could be next, and they're hiding out, um, but he rises from the dead like he said he would. He shows up, has a talk with him, and it says this, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what the Father has promised, and you should stay in the city till you're clothed with power. And then in Acts 1.8, he tells them something similar. So what we decided to do after the day of Pentecost, we talked about the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit of the day of Pentecost. We decided to spend some time reading stories from the book of Acts of these first followers of Jesus and how this was fulfilled in their lives, this promise, you will be witnesses. So that was for those of you that haven't been with us. Those that you have been with us, now we're going to have a pop quiz. You ready? Okay. So one of the things we've talked about a lot was just trying to know what is a witness of Jesus. So what is a witness of Jesus? Giving an account of what had occurred. That's pretty good. Thank you, Mr. Tivis. Oh, big hearts from you. <laughs> Harry Tivis, ladies and gentlemen. Well, well, one of the things we said, we, we thought about courts and when you are a witness in court, and we've said many times a witness simply shares what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, and what they've learned about Jesus. And then we came to a conclusion about who are witnesses. Who are witnesses? Mumble, mumble, mumble. I see a hand. Just shout it out. All of us. Anyone who's had any experience with Jesus is now responsible. So all of you, even if you are in this room or watching online, um, and you, you might still be deciding about Jesus, whether you want to follow him with your life, 
you actually have something to say, and I would say you have a responsibility to tell others what you have seen or heard or learned or experienced about Jesus. Got it? You know you can talk back. Okay. Maybe we should practice. <laughs> say amen, brother. Come on, this is a good one. <laughs> and if you think I'm having trouble, someone pray out, help him, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's this good right there. Okay. Uh, Jesus, we're asking for help because we're going to open your word. We want to learn from you right now. And we pray that you give us faith to believe what we read, faith to hear from you, and we approach you with faith that we can be transformed and learn from you as we read your word. So come, Holy Spirit. Empower this time in the word. Empower this time and empower the rest of our morning, Lord. We want to practice what we're learning. Help us to be witnesses with power. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 5. And it's actually been several weeks since I was doing this with you. Because the last two times that I was with you, we changed the title to be stories of today's followers of Jesus. Remember, we heard a story from Michael and did some preaching out of that. We heard from last week, we heard some talk about finishing the task with Rick Warren. Remember that story? And then we opened the scriptures about how that might work. Well, we're back in Acts 5. Does anyone remember the strange thing that happened or what we talked about last time? Ah. Well, I'll remind you. We talked about taking off the masks, the importance of, of authenticity. And where we were in Acts 5 was things were going great. Um, a lot of people were following Jesus. A church was born. Thousands now were gathering. And there were a couple people that became instruments of a danger that Jesus had warned the disciples about lots. He told them early on in their training, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Do you remember that? And so that this couple really wished that the community would think highly of them. They wanted, the, the community was really thinking highly of a, of a guy named Barnabas, who was very generous, and they thought, man, it'd be great if the community thought highly of us. The problem was they weren't generous like Barnabas, but they wanted people to think they were generous, so they made up this story to look like they were more generous than they really were. Do you remember this story? And we talked about the importance just of being authentic with each other, being humble, telling the truth, and the danger of when we put on masks and we don't really be honest with each other, we don't let people see where we are, we don't deal with the, the truth of troubles that we have, the truth of sin that we're struggling with, that sort of thing. Well, in that story, as this couple lies to the Holy Spirit, who is called God in that story, by the way, they both drop dead. Do you remember that? And it was like scary. And this is like the last verse we read was Acts 5.11, where it said, great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these. And I think that was not necessary to say that. Great fear sees the whole church. By this time, there's thousands of people. 
gathering in Jerusalem, and they're meeting in homes day to day. They're meeting in the temple courts. And you remember that we looked at a, a diagram. The temple um, facility is massive. I don't remember the number, but it seems like it was over a million square feet. And there are these colonnades, and there's a place called Solomon's Porch, and that's where they used to meet. And as we're reading from here, we're going to start at verse 12 of chapter 5, if you are like have your Bible open, which is not a bad idea. Can I just say this on the side? This is for free. A lot of us like our phones, which is great, but you can't write in your phone very easily. And so, you see, I don't know if you can see this. This is what my Bible looks like. So there's highlights and red writing and black writing because I take notes as God speaks to me, and I would recommend you do that too. So consider going back to paper. But in the meantime, pull out your devices. No shame in this game. You're fine. Um, in this section, our author is Luke. The guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke is writing this book called The Acts of the Apostles. And he's going to use two terms. I want to tell you about them right now so you pay attention. The people and the believers. And when he's talking about the people, he's talking about just the people that live in Jerusalem who are um, kind of hanging out often with the church folk because a lot of great stuff's happening. There's all these healings. There's public prayer meetings. There's public teachings in the, court, in the temple courts. And then, then he also uses the word the believers to refer to those people who've committed themselves to being part of the church of Jesus Christ. They are followers of Jesus. They are witnesses. They are in. So let's, let's hear what he has to say. This is verse 12. The, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's, Col Solomon's colony. Now, I wanted you to notice that. But first, first, talk to me. What kind of signs and wonders do you think the apostles were performing? Healing, healing probably, yeah. From the context of have been reading, healing is like the big one. Say that again, Frida. Maybe some deliverances, yeah. This, this is what we commonly read. People that are tormented by evil spirits, they're casting them out. A lot of healings of cripples. We're going to read this over and over through the book of Acts, through the stories of the first believers. So probably some fractured necks, maybe some clogged arteries. Um, what else? Sight to the blind. Yeah, those kind of things. So I'm thinking probably healings. Possibly also commonly we see this gift of prophecy where they know something about someone from the Holy Spirit. So that's probably happening. There's a sense that the Holy Spirit's really um, part of what's going on. And where were they doing them again? No, no. Among the people. So here, uh, we barely got started, and I have a first principle for us to learn. We do well to do the works of the kingdom outside the church. Because that's, that's where we're reading is happening. So it's all good to pray for people like we'll do today when a worship team is playing some beautiful worship music and people are around the room praying and we've been in the word and the atmosphere is just charged for a miracle to happen, right? But it's another thing to do it on the liquor aisle in Walmart. Right, Michael? <laughs> oh, it used to be, because it's sort of becoming commonplace now. 
many people will tell you that the Lord seems even more apt to bring signs and wonders and these miracle kind of experiences outside the walls of the church. So did they announce Jesus' walk? I had to step out for a minute. They did. It's next Saturday. That will be outside of the church. And there's going to be opportunities for you to meet people who, if the Lord makes it happen, will have needs that they will tell you about. And you will cross the chicken line, as we say. And you cross the chicken line. And then you step out and say, I think God might want to help you. Could I pray for you? Now you're cooking with grease. Now it's ready to go, right? Because you say, could I, would it be okay if I put my hand on you kind of as a sign of blessing? Now you're laying hands on the sick. My goodness, what's God going to do? And you invite the Holy Spirit to come. And the presence of God fills the atmosphere. You're doing the works of Jesus among the people, both among the believers and among the people. So that's kind of the first principle to take home. And yes, we do this in Walmart. Um, Verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Does that maybe sound confusing, like it's the opposite, like it was confusing? No one joined them, yet they're joining them. What this means is the the Ananias and Sapphira incident, where before people might have just hung out with the church. Now they know it's kind of dangerous to hang out with the church if you're not real. You might die. So, So no one else dared join them, yet... More and more people were hearing the message and deciding to believe and join them. Interesting. So, I'm already, you know, second sentence in. I'm going to do about four or five of these principles for us, right? The first one was do it outside. The second one is this. Be honest about the cost when people are invited to follow Jesus. Um, We are prone in our evangelical churches today to try to talk people into please saying the sinner's prayer with us, and then we go somewhere else and say, all those people gave their lives to Jesus. Do you hear that phrase? Gave their lives to Jesus. Thanks, Steve. I was being distracted by hearing my voice after I say something. Maybe we'll turn the volume on down on that. Um, gave their lives to Jesus. Lord help him. Gave their lives to Jesus. Do, do you hear that? When you say the sinner's prayer, that's a far cry from giving your life to Jesus. And we're actually asking people to give their lives to Jesus. Anyone in here in the military or have you been in the military? So when you sign that document, who has charge of your life? You are basically the property of the U.S. government, right? They tell you where to go, when to go there, how as long as they want. 
They're in charge of your life because you sign your life away for a contract. Do you understand when we are inviting people to follow Jesus, that's what we're saying? So the second principle is tell people the cost. People ought to consider the cost before they follow Jesus. Jesus talked about that. He said no one you know, starts a big project without first counting the cost to see if they can finish the project because it's kind of embarrassing to start and go, oh, never mind, I guess I didn't really want to do that. The Bible, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. I mean, I don't know if I'm talking to someone in the room right now or online. Following Jesus is just not some casual thing. You are giving the master of the universe, the creator, the king of all kings, who has given you the ability to reject him if you want for a while. He's given you that authority over your life and you're saying, I yield all of my rights to you, Jesus. You are now my king. So we commonly in evangelical America at least try to get people to accept Jesus. I think that's the wrong phrase. I think probably we're humbly asking Jesus to accept us. Right? Do you think that's true? And I think if we have that mindset as we're being witnesses of telling the truth, we might have real conversions. Real, true. Count the cost. This is going to cost my life. I remember one time, you know, a lot of you know Lynn Cirillo. She sometimes has done women's retreats or she's preached here. And many of you know when I was a lot younger, she was a traveling evangelist and I was her keyboard player. We went around internationally, but I, one time we went over to Camp Pendleton and there was like a thousand Marines that came out to an evangelism event. And she's a preacher of the gospel. She preached the gospel, gave the opportunity to people who wanted to give their life to Jesus to stand up. And a whole bunch of them, like 90% maybe, stood up. And it's like 1,000 people. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. Sit back down. And she explained to them, I'm talking about giving your life forever. He's in charge. You obey him. You do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. When he tells you, no, you can't sleep with your girlfriend anymore, you say, yes, sir. Ooh, now I got personal, right? <laughs> so he says, sit back down, consider the cost. Now, who wants to give the life to Jesus? And more people stood up. And that day, somewhere close to 900 Marines stood up to publicly profess, I am giving my life to Jesus. It wasn't a soft, easy sell. It was a hard sell. So I think we do well for following the path of these first witnesses of Jesus to let people know this is the best deal you can find. There's no better deal on the planet because when you give him your life, he'll give you his. You exchange your messed up <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Attempt at living. <laughs> that you've screwed up so bad. 
and you've ruined every relationship, and he'll turn it around for you, but he's got to be in charge. He will fill you with his spirit. If you give him your life, he'll wash away all your sins. He'll cleanse you of their effects. He'll put you on a new path. He'll give you a future and a destiny here and forever. He'll fill you with his very spirit so that you can know him and walk with him. Yes, it's the best thing, but count the cost before you say yes. Okay, maybe we can keep reading. Uh, as a result of all of that, those first two sentences, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds also gathered from the towns and around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. Now Luke, the doctor, who's really a good historian and very accurate in his writing, as far as we can tell, says, and all of them were healed. Wow. All of them were healed. Now this idea of Peter's shadow, is that not weird? <laughs> right? The... We don't have in Luke's writing whether any of them got healed by Peter's shadow or not. He doesn't speak to it. So there's different people's opinions. What was going on there? And I listened to none other than Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel. If you didn't know, you can listen to his entire teachings through the entire Bible online, on YouTube, on apps, all over the place. I was interested in what he said. You know what he said? He said, even though it doesn't say it, I think... They were healed when Peter's shadow fell across them. And his reasoning was this. Number one, they wouldn't have kept bringing the crowds to the have it happen if nothing was happening. But number two, here's a, a, a thought that you can grab a hold of. He used the term a point of contact. The idea being that there's an event or a point of contact at which people's faith is released. And faith is usually a big component of God's working miracles amongst us. And, you know, you think of when Jesus was walking past that woman with the, the hemorrhaging that wouldn't stop. She'd been 12 years having a nonstop period, if you can just imagine the torment of that, which was bad enough physically, but um, in their society, it was really bad. And she thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, just the lowest part, just touch the cloth, I'll be healed. Chuck Smith calls that a point of contact. And in fact, he, he got by, she worked her way into the crowd, and the moment she touched him, that faith released something, and God responded, and power left Jesus' body and healed her. Remember that? And Jesus was like, so, someone touched me because power left. So we don't know from, this, from the text of the Bible what happened there, but it's possible that the shadow did something because there was faith. They, had, they were aware of Peter's this guy that, Man, he's in contact with God. He sees that someone's lying and they drop dead. And there's all this faith about this guy. I have seen this when I travel far away from home. People think, oh, the great man of God has come because they don't know me. And more stuff happens miraculously. Some of you that have traveled have seen this happen. I see heads nodding in some of the places. There's a more response. I don't understand that. I don't understand how faith works. I don't understand why God responds to faith the way he does. I mean, he's God. Why doesn't he just do whatever he wants? But he does. He's, well, that's what he wants. He wants to respond to faith. So 
Do you remember when Jesus was in his hometown? Mark 4 says it. Um, Only in his hometown, Jesus said, among his relatives in his own house is a prophet without honor. And then Mark writes, he could not do any miracles there in his hometown except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to teach us. The first principle was do it out there. Do the ministry of Jesus outside the church. The second was help people to count the cost. And the third, I think this can be helpful for us, don't discount the powerful impact of people's faith, even if you think it's misplaced. Like, I thought that was misplaced, the shadow thing. I think, what is a shadow? Come on, you guys. But there's some kind of response. A bunch of people are getting healed, either through the prayers or the shadow or both. I don't know. The apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, present among these people who are not part of the church yet, are getting healed, delivered, and something good's happening. And when I go somewhere and people are like, oh, Ron's here. He'll, he prays. They'll get healed. I'm like, if you knew me in Oceanside, you wouldn't be saying that. But I'm not going to tell them that. I'm going to just say, you just go with your faith, and let's pray, and stuff happens. One time I was in Zambia, I remember, I went to a church to preach, and then people wanted to get prayer. This is not, you know me, right? You know I'm just regular Ron. That rhymed, R-R. Well, (laughs) regular Ron. Um, I'm telling you, as people came up to pray, I prophesied over every single person I prayed for. I've never done that here. I don't know what was going on, but it happened. So that was the third principle. As we are being witnesses, and you run into someone who has a lot of faith, don't discount the powerful impact of that kind of faith. How you doing? You doing good? Okay. Um, Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, which some people say they're sad, you see, were filled with jealousy. Sadducees were the materialists. In other words, they didn't believe in the spiritual realm. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were like the kind of, there's churches like that in America where they don't believe any of the miracles in the Bible. They think, well, it's just good teaching for some moral stuff. That's these guys. They arrested the apostles because they were filled with jealousy at all these crowds that were coming. Put them in jail. But during the night, this is such a funny story, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. And this is like an angelic jailbreak. So at daybreak... They entered the temple courts, as they've been told, and began to teach the people. And this is funny, because the Sadducees don't believe in angels, and an angel pulled them out of jail in the middle of the night. Um, In the natural, it would have been really unwise to go right back to the place that they were arrested. I wouldn't have done that. But the angel of the Lord said to, so they were so prompt to do it, they were there at daybreak. And I have another principle for me and you. If the Lord prompts you to do something, obey it quickly. If God says go, obey. Even if it seems like exactly the wrong thing to do. Go back to, you know, where they arrested you. We'll go back there and and preach again. Like, what? Yeah, do that. So they do it. 
And this is funny. When the high priest and associates arrived in the morning, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full court, the full assembly of all the elders of Israel. They sent to the jail for the apostles, but upon arriving to the jail, the officers didn't find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Is this not an amazing story? On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, I guess so, wondering what would become of this. Do you think that these hard-headed people would start to get a clue. Jesus has been resurrected. They just had Peter and John before them a little bit ago with the guy that had been crippled his whole life, standing healed. Peter and John said, you know, you judge whether or not it's right to obey God. We're going to keep telling the story. But their hearts are still hard. Remarkable. By the way, in chapter 6, we're going to discover that a whole bunch of priests do become followers of Jesus. So maybe this seed planting is going to bear fruit down the road. I'm not sure how that works. Well, then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Wouldn't you like it to be said by your enemies that you filled Oceanside with the teachings of Jesus? This is not like some evangelist saying, we were so effective that we filled the whole city with the teaching. This is the enemy saying it. It's probably true. (laughs) There's just no way that you can stop these guys. They said you were determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Do you remember when Pilate had Jesus that they brought to him? And Pilate said, I find no fault in him. We need to let him go. These people said... His blood be upon us and upon our children. And now they're experiencing it and they're not liking it. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. Now last time they said, You decide what you think. Should we obey God or not? But we're going to try to keep telling the story. Now they're just saying it. Here's the fact. We must obey God rather than men. Passion for being witnesses for Jesus. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed. This boldness is incredible. By hanging him on a tree, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. And now they're going to repeat what we read Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 24. That he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to those who obey them. Did you think that it sounds funny to say that repentance is given? Like, does that seem like a gift? Repentance is given? It is actually a gift. So I I would say it like this. 
It's as though God gives us a gold coin that has two sides. One side is repentance, one side is faith. And the name of that gold coin is salvation. We've been taught, Peter taught it, we read it in the Bible. Here's salvation, you must repent and believe. And maybe we can get a principle out of that. And this would be the last of them. And that's this principle. Just agreeing with the truth about Jesus is not enough. Just saying, yeah, I think that's true. You must respond. You must repent. That's turn away from your old ways of doing things your own way on your time without God. You must repent, turn from that, and believe in Jesus, which means giving him your life. If you trust him with your life, that's believing. It's not just saying, yeah, I believe that's true. It's saying, I believe that's true, and therefore, I am entrusting my life to this person as God and Lord and Savior. I will follow him. I entrust my life to him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men, put them outside for a minute. So Gamaliel is the grandson of the great Rabbi Hillel. These are real historical figures. The, the Bible tells the truth. You can find out, you can often cross-reference these with other historians and find out these stories are true. Gamaliel is a really got, real guy. He, by the way, is the one at whose feet Paul, the apostle, will be raised. He's already been, it's already happened at this point in history. Um, trained by him. And he gives them this sort of wisdom that's pretty wishy-washy in my opinion, and I'll tell you why. He addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, a dude named Thudius or Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. His followers dispersed, came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. He led a band of people in revolt. He was killed. His followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, you'll fail. But if it's from God, you'll find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles and had them flogged. That's the whipping with the um, 39 lashes, which could almost kill you, killed some people. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Let me back up on Gamaliel. We'll just about land this ship and go home before the storm hits. Uh, Gamaliel is, I think, really weak here. This generally is not good wisdom. Let's see how things work out, then make a decision. Let's kick the can down the road. I don't want to make a decision now. That's what he's saying. You can't do that with Jesus. You have enough to believe. Don't say, yeah, we'll see how this works out. Maybe, you know, in a few years I'll decide for or against Jesus. There's no middle ground. You either follow Jesus or you're not. There's no fence to sit on. At some point, 
And this is for us in the room, but also for as we're telling the story and being witnesses of Jesus in our world. At some point, people need to make a decision. Is he or is he not the God-man? Was there a man who claimed to be God and said, I'll prove it to you because you're going to kill me, and after I'm dead, I'll rise again three days later, and you'll all be witnesses of it. For me, that's the crucial point. The, the first step for why I cannot help but follow Jesus is because historically, there's no denying that there was a man named Jesus who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the Messiah, and fulfilled the Hebrew scripture promises. He was indeed murdered on a cross like he said he would be, and he was indeed raised from the dead like he said he would be, and the eyewitnesses account are so many and too many to deny. You have to deal with, was there a Jesus, and did he rise from the dead? And then, what are you going to do? You can deny him and say, I, well, I, I just want to do my own thing and do your own thing at your own risk. Or you can believe on the basis of his resurrection that he is who he said he was and from there follow him with everything. And I can tell you, as someone who's seen, heard, experienced, and learned things about Jesus, it's the only way to live. If you give your life to Jesus, it's going to cost you everything, but you're going to gain the world. So go for it. Don't wait. If you're hearing me and you're doing a Gamaliel and going, well, let's see how things work out. Stop it. Don't be a fool. Do not be a fool. You've heard about Jesus. You've seen the testimonies. There are literally billions of his followers alive right now who will tell you consistently, Jesus is real. You can know him. He does take away our sins. He does change our life. It is costly, but it always has greater benefits than the cost in life, in relationship with God, in relationship with each other, and experiencing the, the life of the age to come now. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of God's kingdom is available today. We are witnesses of this thing. We have a story to tell. And we can minister in the power of that kingdom today. Number one principle for us as students of God's word do it outside. Do the works of the kingdom outside of the church walls as well as inside. Number two, be honest about the cost when you're inviting people to accept Jesus. Maybe change that language. I'm inviting you to follow Jesus right now. It's the best thing you can do, but it's going to cost you everything, and you're going to gain everything. You ready? You know, that kind of message. Number three, don't discount the powerful impact of people's faith, even if you think it might be kind of missed up a little bit. Respond and pray and see God work miracles. Number four, when God speaks, obey. And number five, remember, just agreeing about the truth about Jesus isn't enough. You need to receive the golden coin of salvation, repentance and faith. Believe. 
Okay, I'm done with our time on the word. Now let's switch gears. You ready? Let's stand up. This is the part in our time together where we pause and we look to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to minister to us and through us. The first thing, again, for you watching me on Facebook Live or in the Zoom rooms, is if you have not given your life to Jesus, and here I always said that, given your life to Jesus, today's the day of salvation, and if you're in this room too. If you're ready, you've counted the cost, and you say, I think I'm ready to sign away my life to this God who will save me and forgive me and cleanse me and give me a new life in him. Today's your day. Just look to him. Say something like this. We call it prayer when we talk to God. Jesus, I do believe. I believe you. I've got just enough faith right now to get me across that line to believe you. I turn away from my old life where I was in charge and I messed things up. And I turn to you. Forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you died for them. And you rose again. I believe that. Cleanse me of all my sins. Cause me to be born brand new. Give me a new life in you. Fill me with your spirit. I say I want to give you my life. I don't know if I'm able, but will you please help me to give you my life? Today, tomorrow, every day. If you had a conversation like that with Jesus right now, one, it was real, and two, I can tell you on the authority of his words that your sins are forgiven and you stand clean before God right now and you probably can feel it. You're new. You have a purpose. He's now in charge of your life and he's going to help you every day. Now, Lord, I'm asking that your spirit rest across this room on people. We wait before you. Let the kingdom of God come upon us. Let your kingdom come, Lord. We have, we have people that are going to be at the front who want to pray with you, who want to. I think some of you might be in a place where you're wanting to step out to really take your place as witnesses for Jesus. We talked last week about witnessing and seed sowing some seed that takes fruit and becomes like a tree that will bear fruit. That's making disciples. I think some of you might be feeling, I, I, it's time, I need to step it up. And if that's, you're sensing that from the Lord, we want to pray over you and bless that, perhaps prophesy into that. Come and let people pray over you. Also in the room, listen, Jesus, I don't ever think, ever had a meeting where he didn't heal people. His disciples did the same thing. If you have sickness, disease, 
physically, spiritually, in your emotional life, relationally. We want to call on God together and see if he will bring healing. If you're tormented by dark spirits, by demons perhaps, I don't know, you're, somehow you're under attack and you know it. We want to pray over that and set you free. So come and let, come and let the Lord minister. Lord, minister now as we end our time together. The band will be playing worship music. Come and worship if you want. Um, leave as you need. But I'll just say this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you rest, give you peace. The Lord turn his face toward you. And may the Lord fill you afresh this day with his spirit to empower you to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. God bless you guys today. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.